This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. How to go from zero to a startup job in nine months. You don't need to jump through hoops or blast out resumes. You can start today. Praxis combines a three-month professional boot camp with a six-month paid apprenticeship at a startup that leads directly to a full-time job. Startups aren't just for coders, sales, marketing, operations. Even if you're not sure what you're interested in, Praxis places you with a dynamic, growing company where you do work you love, become part of a team, and make a difference. Praxis is tailored to your goals and your interests. Coaching sessions, group discussions with your peers, skills training, and a portfolio of projects along with the apprenticeship create a powerful combination of real-world experience and intensive learning. We are relentlessly committed to helping you discover and do what makes you come alive. We don't just prepare you for a job, we actually give you one. No degree is required to get started on your career. Whether you're an ambitious go-getter right out of high school, a creative thinker who's bored in college, or a college grad looking for the next step, discover Praxis. Great jobs are waiting. Are you ready? All right, I am super excited about this episode of the podcast. This is the football episode. If you don't like football, which means you hate America, uh, (laughs) then maybe this episode isn't for you. But don't go away. Go find another episode of the Isaac Morehouse podcast and listen. I'm joined by three very good friends. Uh, One, Levi Morehouse, my brother, previous guest of the podcast. Uh, Cameron Sorsby, my colleague at Praxis. And Ian Van Hoover, an all-around great guy who is also a Lions fan like myself and Levi. So we got Cameron outnumbered here. Um, We don't don't want to talk about Cameron's team, the New York Giants. None of us like them. So this episode is all about football, and we got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. I have a real quick shout-out before we really get into some good discussions. Week one, fantasy football, Levi and I dominated – Mr. Derek Carter's team. So, Derek, thanks for playing. Try again next Wait, what year. What do you mean, Levi and you? You you share a team? We like to run our fantasy football operation as a true business with Levi as founder, CEO, and I'm the current general manager on a one-year contract. So I'm Levi- actually I'm actually I've relinquished. I'm actually now just founder chairman, and uh, Cameron is CEO with all encompassing authority because what it sounds like to me is levi was like crap i'm in a fantasy league i don't want to lose my reputation but i'm too busy let me give cameron a made-up title to make him feel special and let him do all the work it may sound like that but you're (laughs) wrong and no one cares what you think so Oh, and he, important. I, I buy it. I buy him waffles at Waffle House, and we talk once a week about it. So it's it's a mutually beneficial arrangement. It's actually yeah. been a lot of fun. And I think I've I've probably meddled too much, if anything, out at this point. So I'm trying to you know pull back a little bit. 
I've seen the calendar, you know, Cameron, business planning meeting at Waffle House with Levi. I, I know what that's all about. FF strategy. Hey, 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 it ends hours before most of you wake up. So it's, it's not wasted time. Ian, what are you, are you in fantasy, man? Oh, absolutely. Two leagues this year. I had to cut it down. I had, it was in three last year. Uh, just too much, took up too much time, too many resources mentally. Well, I know what a devoted Lions fan you are, an eternal Lions optimist. So I can't imagine your teams have done very well since you draft all Lions players. You know, I, I am a Lions optimist. Um, I think most people are preseason. And then it's around game four or five that you start to become a realist. Um, but no, I, I with me, it's, with me, it's usually line. around minute minute 11 of the second quarter of game one where <laughs> all my hopes start to become dashed all right we're gonna we're gonna talk about a couple of week one games including the lions but i want to open with this question and it'll give give me a second to to set it up this is the football story that will not go away deflate gate okay one of the one of the broadcasters during week one i don't remember which game pointed out there had two super bowls have occurred since this story first started and now tom brady mm-hmm. This season, a year and a half after all this, is serving a four-game suspension. Now, it is very, it's become very clear over the last several months that it is 100% explainable just by the science of the temperature and everything else, PSI of those footballs, that it was absolutely within the range. And the entire Wells report has basically been disproven. It's very clear that this was essentially a witch hunt. And this is now public knowledge Brady could have pursued this all the way to the Supreme Court. That would have been the next step. Probably would have won. So two questions. One, why did Brady stop short after everything he went through? Uh, Should he have continued to fight this? And two, why has Goodell not dropped it and said, you know what? You're right. You caught us. We were wrong. This whole report was bogus. The science is not correct. We jumped the gun. This was a witch hunt or something. Why has Goodell not backed down? And why did Brady decide to back down? And should he have done something different? So the, the second question, the whole thing that's going on now, it's not actually over whether Brady deflated the footballs or not. The actual legal issue is over who has ownership of making uh, decisions over, you know, if players are going to get punished or whatever. So the actual legal issue is does that, uh, do those decision rights uh, stay with Goodell or is, is there someone else involved? Should Brady have continued to pursue it? Or do you, do you think this is the right move to just say, fine, I'll serve the suspension? Um, I think it would have been entertaining and maybe just a slap in the face to Goodell if he continued to pursue it, because this is terrible for the NFL and Goodell specifically right now. And I'm not sure it would have really harmed Brady. You could ma- I think you can make an argument. It was probably in the best interest of the Patriots to just let it go, focus on the season, and make the true slap in the face to Goodell be winning the Super Bowl this year. Levi, what do you think? I don't know. That's... Uh... I guess to Cameron's point, I was going to interject, but I don't want to make this into a total disaster of a show. But uh, so, so right now, the, I, I haven't followed the case closely, other than knowing it's been seemingly going on for like four years now. Um, and fantasy-wise, you're always worried that Brady's suspended, then he's not, then this year he actually is. Uh, but uh, so now it's not, it's not about whether the display gate thing was, had enough proof or not. Now it's purely about the league says we should be able to suspend you. Brady says you shouldn't legally be able to keep me from working. And that's what the legal battle's over. Is that what you're saying, Cameron? 
Yeah, that's how I understand it, at least. Interesting. So, yeah, I think if that's the case, then it's not so much about the facts of the case itself relating to Deflategate. It's more about Goodell having to protect the ability of the league to suspend a player. And the player is trying it's to not the league for protect my the ability for the league not to be able to suspend them. Yeah, the, quest- the question is specifically Goodell himself, not the league, but that he gets to be judge, jury, and executioner in, in completely unchecked. And that's what he's trying to maintain. Oh, nice. Well, because he loves power, man. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it's going to hurt his rep. Uh, Ian, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Goodell's uh, reputation has been getting more and more tarnished over the past handful of years, uh, most recently with uh, the Al Jazeera accusations towards a handful of uh, NFL players on steroids, where they were, you know, immediately uh, kind of put into a corner by the NFL off of a, uh, a report that turned out not to be true. Um, so uh, I think that's, I think Goodell's reputation continues to get tarnished. Uh, at the end of the day, um, I don't think the NFL, as long as it's growing, as long as it's continuing to be cash flush and make money, uh, I think that Goodell's job is safe. I think Brady um, is a football player first and foremost. And I think with like most great quarterbacks, I'm not a Brady fan uh, in, in terms of who he is, and, but, and I'm not a New England Patriots fan. But uh, I don't know. I haven't heard too many people argue that he's not one of the greatest quarterbacks you know, to ever play in the history of the NFL. So um, Tom Brady is getting older. Tom Brady knew that his body would have a tough time this season, in my opinion. And uh, when he sat down with Belichick, uh, it came down to, do we want to try for another Super Bowl? And I think all great competitors put, you know, put themselves aside. And, and ultimately, it's, it's actually self-serving. Uh, um, but uh, at the end of the day, he cares more about, I think, winning championships and football games than he does about what this might look like for the rest of the players union or future verdicts, et cetera. So um, someone else will fight that battle another day. Yeah. You touched on the two things that I thought were the main takeaways. One is that I think, I think Brady's gets to be, have the best of both worlds. He gets to sort of be the martyr and the bigger man and say, you know what, I think I'm right, but whatever. And he walks away, his reputation, he comes out looking like the victim and he gets to be at age 30, whatever, Oh, poor Tom can't play, but he gets to sit out four weeks of the season, stay healthy, uh, and kind of get, you know, a, a little bit of both. And on the Goodell tip, this reminds me a lot of where the big automakers in Detroit were 50 years ago, 30 years ago. They had really crappy management, making really bad decisions, agreeing to unsustainable collective bargaining. But it didn't matter for 10 or 20 years because they just kept growing so fast that it was like, yeah, all these things are terrible, but it doesn't matter as long as you're profiting a ton. That stuff will come home to roost later, maybe after those executives are gone. And I kind of see that's where Goodell is. The NFL just keeps growing despite all the bad things I think he's, he's been doing relatively to what he could be doing. Um, so he probably won't have to pay the piper, but maybe the league will down the road. I don't know. Uh, okay, guys, who watched week one? I want some thoughts in general from across the league after week one. Now, this will air – Monday, so we will have had another week of games by then, and we can do predictions at the end for what's going to happen week two. But what do you got? What are your week one thoughts in the NFL? So I, I was, I, you may disagree because you're probably the biggest hater of officiating I've, I've ever met. But I thought the officiating was way better than I'm used to seeing in NFL games, especially, and not so much that they were making better calls, but maybe it was one of the rule changes in the off season or something. But a catch, 
to me, things that look like catches that always have that the last like say three years or four years have been ruled not catches were were catches again. I saw three or four or five examples of that just randomly throughout the day Sunday. I thought that was pretty cool. That was good in general. There was one that was really egregious and really ticked me off in the Redskins um, uh, Steelers game. And I'm a Steelers fan. I wanted them to win and it went in their favor, but uh, Antonio Bryant caught the ball very, very clearly turned to move and he got stripped a beautiful strip. And they're like, Oh, he never had possession and made a football move. That's just punishing the defense for making a great play. Like, what are you supposed to do? Wait till he takes three steps and then punch the ball out. It was so commonsensical, obvious that you had to be an idiot or an NFL ref to interpret it any other way. But other than that, I think your point stands week one observations, Cameron. So first thought, Thank God football's back. It, uh, it helps. Uh, amen. Amen. It helps with the heartbreak of the finish of the NBA season. Um, second, the Coughlin retirement plan is already paying off. We didn't botch a fourth quarter victory. Wait, wait the Giants won by one point to a team. By my New York Giants. To a rookie quarterback, to Dak. To no but quarterback. Excuse me. Let's stay on topic. My point is... <laughs> if Coughlin is head coach, they lose that game. Well, let's remember the milestone in that game, too, was Eli's 200th interception. So I, wanna, I wanted to congratulate him and you on that accomplishment. That's 100 interceptions per Super Bowl ring. I'll take it. Um, other thoughts, real quick. The Patriots are basically the supermen of the NFL going into – were they in Arizona? Yeah, in Arizona. Yeah. In That's, Arizona, hey, nice, nice, Cameron. You take the show notes. You take the show notes from Isaac, and then you just like insert them ahead of time. No, like I mean, no, you have to be in awe. Well, well done, well done. You have to be in awe of this. Go ahead, Levi. Can you can you not insult my thoughts? Thank you. <laughs> Going into Arizona, no Gronkowski, no Tom Brady, and pulling out the victory. It looks like they'll go three and one or or four and zero oh at least. Um, my question to the group is. Is, are the next four weeks going to be great evidence that Belichick and not Brady is, you know, the, the core reason why the Patriots are so amazing? Does this, could this potentially hurt Brady's legacy at all? It wouldn't be a big thing, but could it diminish it a little bit? How, how would it be more – remember that season where he got hurt? Was that week one he got hurt or week yeah. three? Somewhere early in the year yeah, when uh, Matt, Castle. Matt Castle came in. Yeah. And they won, games. I think, 10 games. They won they 11 just because somehow the AFC East had like a bunch of really good teams that year. But uh, but anyway, I think that year was kind of the same person that Belichick yeah. and his system is really amazing. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. I don't think it hurts Brady at all in terms of his legacy. I, I think that's fine. I think it's going to be fine. But I think it's a, a really revealing thing that Belichick's genius as well as the power of a winning culture is so much more powerful for how a quarter. Cause so right now Brady could go to any team and he'd be great, but that was not true for his first, probably at least five years in new England. It was being yep. in that culture that gave him the opportunity to become great. Whereas you take a guy who's great and goes to a bad culture there's nothing he can do but become worse. You know, Sam Bradford, maybe he could have been great if he went somewhere else or whatever. You know, you name somebody who has a, a high draft pick with, with good talent. Um, but I think, I think how a quarterback starts is so important. And the, the culture of the Patriots 
there's a very few teams that have this consistently. The Steelers are another one. No matter what, they just always have this swagger and culture. They're always a threat. You can see it on their faces. And I don't want to keep going, but I want to contrast, but bring up this, this point to, to illustrate the difference between a winning culture and a losing. So I'm watching the Lions game. They go down with this amazing drive, do exactly what they need to do, answer the Colts tying it up by getting a touchdown with very little time left in the game. And then they miss the extra point. And immediately on the sideline, every one of those players had a sad, scared, oh crap, we're, we're being the Lions again look on their face. That losing culture just immediately, everything gets panicky and, and fearful. Now they did end up pulling that one out uh, inexplicably, but the difference, I have seen the Steelers, the Patriots, be in a similar situation where they could have locked something up and somebody screwed up and they just look unfazed. Nobody's eyes sink. Nobody, they're just like, we'll find a way. There's just that difference that I think puts you in a position. So Garoppolo has the chance to go out there and play well in four games and basically get a big deal somewhere. But if he goes into a crappy culture, he'll turn into what, um, what's his name? Matt Castle turned into, which is not much. Levi, thoughts on how do you make a culture a winning culture? It's, it's a great question. And to me, in professional sports, I find it unbelievably hard. I, I usually would say it's, it's all about the head coach. You know, colleges, I think, can have a culture um, because you get that transition of underclassmen, upperclassmen. You know, you can kind of pass that baton or banner torch along, if you will, and keep that, you know, kind of like instill something from decades and decades ago that can kind of stay there and even go dormant and come back and all that. For a professional, I don't get it. Usually it's salary caps and everything's relatively constant and equal. Um, so to me, it usually comes down to the coaching staff or maybe a great leader on the team or something that can, that can develop culture. But with that, and the Patriots, I think, are that example. I don't think that organization has, you know, it's, it's all, all been since Belichick's been there and primarily since Belichick with Brady has been there. Uh, but you look at Pittsburgh, and that's maybe maybe the only example. Maybe you guys can come up with some more. Maybe Green Bay would be the same, Pittsburgh and Green Bay. In the NFL, where regime changes at all levels, players, coaches, you know, management, the GMs, the player personnel, everything, turnover and change, that they maintain a consistently very high, oftentimes Super Bowl level, but always in the mix for the playoffs and whatnot level of, of competition. And that, to me, is really, really hard to explain. Maybe it comes down to ownership. You know, the Giants maybe would even fall into that where they're not as consistent, but they seem to surface as really good, like on kind of a, you know, a regular basis. On the mid-tier, you got teams like Philadelphia that seem to never be able to be great, but are never really bad. You know, they're kind of in the middle, and then you got the, the teams that are just consistently horrible. And in a pro sport, football is probably unlike all other pro sports where it's kind of like these tranches, like, don't change a ton. You know, every year somebody jumps up or down, but consistently – teams kind of stay where they're slated. And it's, I can't explain it other than to say it feels like a phenomenon that kind of happens. Well, it's true. Maybe somebody will send in a bunch of stats and prove me wrong, but that's how I feel. No, I mean, it's such an amazing thing because football is the most competitive in terms of the parity sport that there is any given Sunday, any matchup between any two teams, it is not shocking for one NFL team to beat another. So it's like not the most, because they're so close, but yet even though on those one week at a time basis, you always give a team a shot. They're never, you're never underdogs by like 20 points like they would be in a college matchup. But somehow over the course of a season and seasons, some programs just have the opposite problem that you mentioned. When it doesn't matter how many people change, the GM, the whatever, they just have a losing culture. 
The Lions are one of those. Ian, if you were to take over our beloved Lions, what do you think it would take and how long would it take to create and start to build a winning culture? Man, that is a really great question. You put me on the spot, Isaac. I thought this is um, what you think about all day, every day. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do love culture. Um, I, I guess you can't really think about it any differently um, from like, you know, business perspective or organizationally. Like these teams are businesses, you know, within a broader organization as the NFL. Um, in some ways, everyone's equal, right? Like they all have access to the same kind of marketing materials, the same branding, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there is something very unique that makes each of these teams very different. It's not the loyal fan base. I think all the NFL teams have decently, you know, strong bases um, of fans. People turn out in droves, as we've seen from Rev. Jacksonville would be a question mark. <laughs> question mark. Also, though, uh, more recent, more recent team to the NFL as well. Um, don't have maybe as much of the history. Um, and they're they also hosted a super, a super Bowl, by the way. But um, uh, anyway, um, I think I don't. I couldn't tell you how long it would take, but I can tell you, uh, as a Lions fan, we've seen a lot of coaches come and go, uh, given an opportunity to change the the temperature, um, and it hasn't been accomplished. How do you try? I the- honestly think that win- winning football games is the only thing that changes a culture, and that only happens over time consistently winning football games and eventually um, you end up in a place where players want to come play for you waiting you know waiting uh, you we've seen what uh, Tomlin and uh, who has Harris uh, Harrison on his team that's one of the oldest you know defenders in the league we've seen Belichick do it time and again and great coaches do this they find ways to put people into the system that works and players want to play because they win games. And when you win games, everyone gets paid and everyone's happy. It's a, it's an interesting phenomenon. So let me get Uh, a team like the lions. Go go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to get a little philosophical, but finish up first. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm okay. So so, so here's the, so obviously um, you need to have a winning mentality to be able to, you know, because football is so much a mental game to be able to win those games. However, um, in order to have a winning mentality, often the best way to get it is by winning. And so you have this chicken egg problem and success is really all about expectations. It's you have an expectation and meeting it or exceeding it will determine how successful you feel. And so there's the question of, do you come in as a coach and set really low expectations so that people can start to build confidence? um, Or do you come in and set really high expectations to try to give them confidence right away that you believe in them. And how many times, and Levi, I want your opinion as as somebody who's managed a lot of employees, like how many times when you're really optimistic and you say, we can't achieve this goal, when you say that and then you don't achieve the goal, that just like really dings your ability to rally the troops. And so when do you go out and, and make a big goal and say, we could go to the Super Bowl or we could win, you know, 12 games and when do you say we got to downplay it so that I don't lose credibility if this doesn't happen you know how do you navigate that 
I think you set a ridiculously ambitious vision of to where you're ultimately going to end up. And then you set a very, very, very manageable one or two steps. In my opinion, one step. What are we going to do tomorrow or this week in practice or this season? I wouldn't even go this season. If I was a football coach at a bad team, it would be the vision is guys in the next, my tenure, we are going to win our division or win a Super Bowl or something super ambitious. You know, winning a Super Bowl to me, that's tricky because you got to win the playoffs and be healthy and all that. But winning divisions to me is very, is very much a goal that you should set and manage. And that's, you know, that's more executable. Um, I would set the big vision and then just set a very short term goal of what you're going to do that next very short period of time. If over the course of that season throughout training camp and the season, those short term goals you accomplish, you start to build towards the next thing. Well, they always have to be moving forward. You can't be fake, but you just, you don't try to map the whole, whole way there. You don't try to set something in the middle. You set a huge vision and then you set the next step that is executable and 70, 80% of the time you can hit it by pushing really hard. Cameron, your giants are a really interesting example of as much as I hate to admit it of a particular kind of mental resilience. So they will go to go win a Super Bowl, and then they'll just be awful the next year, but then they'll come back and be a huge threat again and go win another Super Bowl or, or go really deep in the playoffs. So they seem to have the ability, even after experiencing a bunch of letdowns and underperforming expectations, to still believe that at any time they can get back to that level. They have this, this you know, pendulum, which you could say, oh, well, you could ding them on that inconsistency. Oh, they're going to win five games and they're going to win 12 games. And they're going to, but there's something about that that's pretty impressive that those downtimes don't seem to destroy them. They seem to always still believe that they're a contender the next year. What do you, do you think there's something in particular that Coughlin has done or the program has done? Yeah, so I think there's a few things at play. One, from the franchise owner's perspective, main, maintaining consistency with personnel is huge. The, like you mentioned, the, foot, the NFL, is um, there's a lot of parity going on. And if you've won a Super Bowl and some core players and coaches you know, aren't doing anything crazy or out of their prime or, or whatever, then there's no reason to try to restock and rebuild, obviously. So I think keeping those guys around that were pretty influential and refilling the ones, you know, the defensive line, you had um, Strahan retire, but they basically replicated that model. And just keeping those guys around and kind of primed to for another big playoff round down, down the road was huge. Um, number two, I mean, it's as simple as just having the personnel that can actually win along with that personnel in the Giants case, uh, along with being able to win Super Bowls, they were also very inconsistent, sporadic. You know, Eli at quarterback is a perfect example of this. So you just kind of had to take the bad with the good in that case. And so, yeah, I, I honestly think consistency is underrated in the NFL where you see head coaches fired all the time. It's actually all across professional leagues. And again, going back to the Patriots, this has been pretty huge for them. How so, long is too I, long? I, think I, I mean, is there an example of a team that's stuck with a coach or a player uh, when they should have gotten rid of them? I mean, I, in the Giants case, I think you could make a very strong argument that Coughlin should have been let go two seasons ago instead of last this past season. They've had three really bad losing seasons in a row. And when they won their Super Bowl, it was about to get to that time again after the first one. 
Um, no other examples are, are coming to mind right now. But uh, I think an interesting question out of this is, out of the consistency thing, is why aren't there better head coaches in the league? Or why aren't more head coaches able to get satisfying results to stick around? Ian, you were going to jump in. No, I mean, I, I, I didn't really have anything to add. Uh, I, I can't really disagree with anything that uh, Levi uh, or Cameron have mentioned. I, I really can't. I think ways part of me says some of it's just luck, right? You get to the playoffs, you make a wild catch on a wild play, and that wins you the Super Bowl in, in the case of the Giants. Um, but also, like, you have to give your team an opportunity to win the game. Um, and I think when it comes down to it, the best coaches find themselves continually in situations where they have an opportunity to win the game. Um, and that's day one, you know, uh, of uh, the preseason all the way up to the Super Bowl. Some coaches are able to do that and bring that out of their players, whether that's through a system or some type of psychological, you know, uh, rigor. I don't know. Well, um, but I, I do think some of it is uh, ultimately uh, – comes down to that and a little bit of luck <laughs> i've wondered about this question that cameron brings up a lot about our team's just way too fast to fire especially head coaches and when you look at some of the teams we've talked about belichick is an example um he's been there for a long time now he's had a lot of success but it wasn't immediately obvious that he was going to be this great you know wizard um the Steelers are another example. I mean, they've had like three head coaches over the last like, you know, <laughs> thousand years or something. Um, and they, and there seems to be no question ever that, you know, um, that Tomlin's job is in jeopardy. It's never like on the table. It seems like they have a, an approach as a franchise that they're going to find a coach they believe in and stick with them. Now you could say those, wow, we'll see more teams should do that. But then when I flip it around as a Lions fan, how many coaches have we had where I was like, why did we wait so long to fire this guy? After one year, it was obvious this is a disaster. Now, in my case, it was usually why did we hire them in the first place? But I don't know. That is a really, really tough one. I mean, if you're – pretend you're an owner. And, Levi, I know you will be an owner someday. Uh, pretend you're an NFL owner. How long do you give a coach before you get anxious? Like, do you want to approach it as we're going to be loyal with you until you figure things out? Or do you say you got two years? It's like like anything in life. It's hard to have an absolute. So it it depends on how they're doing. And it's it's unfortunately it's not just the objective stuff that we can see, but it's what you can see in practice and how they manage their team and all of those kind of things. Uh, we can see trends like you can have a year where you're twelve and four, but you won three of your last four against really good teams. And that coach, I'm going to give probably a crack at the next year. But it's also going to factor in what he did the year before and the year before and historically what they've done and, and everything else. So I think it's, I think people pull the trigger too quickly sometimes. Um, rarely too long, with the exception of Detroit. We've had a couple of guys <laughs> who've held on to too long. <laughs> but largely, I think some of those teams where when you have, I guess I'll put it this way, when you have moderate success, I think that's pretty hard in the NFL. If you're consistently around 500, with a couple of good years here and there, then I think that's a guy you, you may stick with. Um, where if you're consistently kind of just bad, maybe you move on. But that mid guy, I think, gets, gets the short end of the stick in the NFL way too often. I remember Bill Cower with the Steelers way back when I first started really following football. 
and it was before he'd won any Super Bowls. And, and they were always they, – they, a couple times they made runs. Then they had some 500 just below, just above years, so or they maybe made the playoffs, maybe didn't. And they kind of consistently stayed in that tranche, like above average but not great. And finally the one year, Lightning, you know, everything came together right, and, and they won the Super Bowl. And it was like he's a great coach. He's been a great coach. Everything's amazing. But they had called for his head at least two or three different seasons. Uh, you know, before that, going into that and sticking with him, I guarantee they wouldn't have won the Super Bowl that year had they re- started over in the middle of things. Um, that's, that's Andy. And so that to me is that's that's a great a great case to me. Yeah, Andy Reid it fits that bill uh, I think as well. Where like he's just always. I mean, I always thought, man, they make the playoffs every year. They go to the you know conference championship. If I were the Lions, I'd be like, why would we ever? And the Eagles, you know, get out of here. We need a Super Bowl, but. I just, you know, so many things have to come together. Uh, Cameron, you had a point on this topic. There are two things that concern owners, general managers, when it comes to how long should you keep a coach around? One very simple question is, does this guy have the confidence of his players? And if he, I think you keep a guy around as long as he, he has a team on their side, unless you just see something like, hey, this is not a smart dude. He's not a great coach. But overall, I think that's a big question. And after a couple of years with professional athletes in general, I think it's really easy to lose people. The second thing, I don't, I'm not sure how incentivized uh, franchises are to win. I think they're much more incentivized to keep their fan base satisfied. And uh, I think that's something that's, that's overlooked when we're talking about like, Oh, why haven't they let this guy go? Or, Oh, why, why they let, you know, the, this coach go so quickly. If, if the franchise and the so, players and, aren't and That's happy. a good question. Cause I, I don't, I don't think about that very often. So I'd love your take Cameron, but like, d- does the franchise care about their fan base's opinion on things? No, no, no. They care about Depending revenue. So change, grumpy changes incentivized. But do they care about revenue is my point. Do they do they care about revenue? If if they're running it like it a means business. Typically the franchise most of their businesses they get their gains on the franchise value, which if the NFL's up, it's up. Does that make sense? Like yeah, well, totally. most of these guys aren't trying to make money every year. I, I, again, somebody else can run the numbers, but I think well, the majority okay, of them are not they may be breaking even, maybe winning or losing a little bit, but largely it's about the, the asset value, not the cash flow or the profitability each year of the organization. So do they really care about the local fan base? And maybe they do, maybe they don't. I just, I, I want you to get, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's just, I don't think it's just local because we're not just talking about stadium ticket admissions. So Jersey sales, eyeballs on the TV when they're playing in that case, if they want to maximize those things, which does have an impact on the asset value as well. Um, how much, how energetic and spendy and consistent their fan base is change is incentivized. When you get a new player, you've got more people who want to see how they play, more people that want to buy the jerseys. When you get a new coach and a new regime, everybody's, even people who aren't fans are going to watch Chip Kelly and the Eagles, uh, you know, three, four times when they would never watch the Eagles otherwise. So there is some incentive, I think, for franchises to be more change happy um, than they would be if they were only looking at winning games. Okay. Help me out with this, guys. Um, So... The expectations of franchise, I think, is really important. Green Bay, Pittsburgh, now New England, a few others, San Francisco, they've built these reputations as great franchises. And therefore, I think they're more, they're more incentivized to make sure they're putting out uh, 
great teams that are competing in the playoffs and everything than a Detroit Lions where the ex- the expectations are you're going oh, to be man. crap no if matter what. If you have a what. guy that just stop, stomps on a guy's head, the fans are happy, you know? So I think, I think that turns in – I think that plays into, like, why do we have a few really strong franchises and the rest are either, you know, kind of roller coaster between above average and below average and then a few terrible ones is if you're the Green Bay Packers, especially them, maybe because I think their fan base is – pretty uh, committed, then it's going to be really, really bad. I'm not sure, I guess financially, I, I assume so, if, if they had a bad like five, six, seven years versus, you know, Detroit, Jacksonville, where you're going to have, your, your franchise is going to be valued about the same no matter what. Uh, I want to switch. I mean, to- then I think, go ahead. Uh, where do, well, where do the Carolina Panthers fall into all of this? You know, I mean, Average coach, uh, Below some average great team. players. It, it, well, <laughs> they went to the Super Bowl last year, um, and uh, they'll probably you know go into the playoffs deep this year. Still, a lot of people's pick to pull you know pull it together and make it again. Like, how do they fall into this mix? Um, uh, I think it's just really interesting to see, um, and we may be seeing a team that's about to you know become something bigger, uh, but. Uh, or they may fizzle out and be nothing uh, sooner than later and kind of evaporate like right in front of us. But the only thing I heard through the whole previous like two sets of conversation was why did the Lions fire Wayne Fonds? <laughs> yes, bring back, okay, I'm out. <laughs> bring back Wayne Fonts. Uh I'm going to switch if gears. If it's about the people, if it's about the people, Wayne Fonts. Uh, okay, quarterbacks. I feel like, and you guys, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I feel like we have been in a golden age of quarterbacks in some ways. Uh, you know, Peyton Manning just retired, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, um, even some people that get less attention like Roethlisberger, who's been really good. Um, there's, there's been a lot, like four or five at least every year, really good quarterbacks. Now, I'm starting to fear, I feel like we are entering an era of every team just has a crappy quarterback and they just swap quarterbacks in every couple of years. Nobody knows if the guy they draft number one is going to be a total dud or is going to be great. I am wondering if the college system is not preparing quarterbacks. But I want to check that. Like, am I being overdramatic? Am I, am I just missing the fact that there's in five years from now, we're going to say, oh, we have just as many top quality quarterbacks as we did in this era. Am I missing something? Or are we entering quarterback dark ages? Yeah, it could be. I'm not sure. It could be a Kobe situation or it could be a Shaq situation. When Kobe, you know, he dominated the NBA through the mid 2000s and you were saying, hey, where's all the talent? And then all of a sudden, we had this explosion of talent. And now we have a, a bunch of great players in the NBA. Or it could be a Shaq situation where you're like, he's basically the last great big man. Where are all the great big men? And I think in that case with Shaq, it's a permanent change. You're not going to see great big men. So the question is, is it a permanent change? Or once Brady retires, are we just going to need to see a window of time until you know we'll have another five, six great quarterbacks every year? I think it's, I think it's more permanent um i don't see you think how something in, the, in what colleges are doing that's that's churning out guys that just aren't nfl quality 
Well, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the college game is drastically different, more different from the NFL game now than it used to be 10, 15 years ago where it was more of a replication of the NFL. And now it's just a completely different offensive systems being run. Levi, what do you think about quarterbacks? Are we in the dark ages? Oh my gosh, no. I think we're, I mean, at the top end, we're in the, in the, in the maybe the best age ever. I, I wasn't around historically, but I think the number of guys that will be in the Hall of Fame, which is, a, you know, stats are bigger these days, but relative to each other, there's just a handful of guys that truly drive unbelievable team success from that position. And, and seemingly, regardless of who they throw around them, who gets injured, et cetera, et cetera, some of these guys are just amazing. And again, you could probably list off five to, to eight guys that are truly unbelievable. And of those, maybe not all of them are Hall of Fame, but probably at least five that are Hall of Fame caliber guys, all playing more or less than their prime at the same time, or have them for the last two years. A few of them might be winding down now, but still playing at a high level. Uh, I, I can't, you know, maybe that can continues and there's always you know eight or so guys that are truly just dominating but I think we're at a good spot um the bottom of the league's pretty rough the middle of the league is is the middle of the league and very few of those guys ever kind of escalate out of that spot sometimes they drop down um but that top echelon seems like the guys come into the league and get there really quick or they don't I mean, and besides there, it's really luck. hard to unseat them once, once they're really good. Besides luck, who's, who's somebody that's come out in the last couple of years who you see being the next oh, young, young guys are Young guys are amazing right now. Russell Wilson, unbelievable. Yeah. Very young. Cam Newton, unbelievable. Very young. I think the league is just flush. And these guys are coming out more ready than they've ever been. Um, Carson Palmer comes in and sits out a year, becomes a pretty good player. Andrew Luck, Matthew Stafford, Cam Carson Newton, these Palmer guys started day one, and they all – no, I'm just saying when he was drafted, he was the number one overall pick, and they made him sit a whole year, and he came in, and he played pretty well. That was the old model. The new model is they throw guys in immediately. And it used to be they didn't succeed when they did that. That was usually Dax. That was like, ooh, man, you got to get them at least eight games, maybe a whole season to kind of watch. Now so many of these guys are getting dropped in immediately and they're actually kind of succeeding. Uh, barring, you know, injuries from like a Sam Bradford or whatnot, you know, you get injured a lot and that derails you. But even that guy in Philly last week, it's one week, he could totally tank and be horrible, but he looked really good. I've never my, even heard of the guy. I'm not, I don't follow college that closely. On the speed, which goes along with all the things we're talking about with how quick we are to change coaching as well, is for the guys who are good, like you said, it's a sink or swim. You come in and from day one, you're the starter and you're supposed to carry the team a smaller percentage of them are going to succeed under that model. But for those who will succeed, it's so much of a better model. Like why wait? Why not go right, right away? But I think there are some guys who are good, not great, who would do better if they had a little more time. And, and that seems to be Is this what's happening in LA with this Jared Goff guy? Are they, are they sitting him because they want him to develop or did he just play terribly? I, whether I'm not sure. He played terribly. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't he like their number one pick? Yep. And they traded yeah. a boatload of draft picks to, uh, to move up to get him. But a after their performance week one, I think there's already internal pressure to, to put him out there and just see what, hap sees what, uh, what happens. Yeah. I mean, well, go ahead, golf is horrible. He was a horrible quarterback. Uh, I mean, he may not be next year, but this year he's a horrible quarterback. And I think the big thing that we have seen, and we are in a golden age, and I do think quarterbacks are on the decline relative to the players that we're seeing today, um, a common thread, 
I think you think you is, think they're on the decline right now, Ian. Absolutely on the, are, are on a decline. Absolutely okay, on the decline. And I think uh, the new quarterbacks will fit different systems and maybe work well within certain teams. Um, but uh, I look at guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, um, and I think to myself, these are guys that waited for their moment, um, and they had an opportunity and they took it, and they're great competitors. Uh, uh, but they also are like the traditional atypical quarterback that we've seen historically in the NFL. And I think that's what's changing is the way that the game is played. And it demands a different type of quarterback, in, in my opinion. Um, somebody that has the, op- the ability to be more, more mobile, the ability to read the game really quickly. Um, and the college game is so much slower. I don't think these guys, uh, the reason these guys don't pan out is because they aren't in positions, their teams aren't in positions to fit them for the first year or even the second year and sit on those super huge contracts uh, and let those guys mature. Uh, Remember, a lot of these guys are like 20 years old, 21 years old, you know, coming out into the league. Um, And so I think it's a difficult spot to put those people in. I don't think – I don't think we don't see uh, Brady's, Breeze, or Manning's as much anymore, if that's the case, because the game's changing and it requires a different type of quarterback. I think it's more possible that maybe those types of guys, maybe they're not getting into football any, as much anymore. Maybe they're playing other sports at a young age. So that was one of the other topics I wanted to cover, and we're running short on time here, so we're going to have to do, do it lightning style. What are the long-term prospects for football? Is this a is this a dying sport that feels like it's riding high and we're all having a party, but its its days are numbered? Uh, I think it's numbered for maybe different reasons than what a lot of people would think. I think we think of injuries, we think of concussions, players, you know, basically careers coming to an end. And nowhere do we see that more than in fantasy football, right? Uh, if you play fantasy football, you also know that players get hurt every week and it kills your fantasy team. But it opens your eyes, I think, to the reality, what most of the players like go through on a weekly, you know, season, seasonal basis. I do think that the NFL possibly could be looking at a major bubble um, uh, in, some, in some respects. That maybe less so than like the NBA, uh, but I don't, I don't know that the NFL, they're not there yet, but I think you reach, a, you reach a point where you can only grow so far. The revenue is not going to continue to climb. Um, and there's going to be some really, really interesting things, I think, that happen over the next five years, um, TBD. Um, but I don't know that it's injury-related is, is my major point there. Um, I think that it may be a self-implosion um, from the top down um, that we see in the NFL. Levi, prospects for football. It's so hard to say. I think the, the talent pool is going to diminish dramatically. Uh, in terms of young people getting into the sport, the cost benefit of the rest of your life, the money is far outweighed. I think when you're in your mid thirties, even if you get a really good career and the rest of your life is severely damaged, your brain damaged, you know, that's very scary to me. So if they can get that under control and maintain the quality of the game, I think that might be fine. And they may actually be able to, I think the harshness of the hitting and all that isn't as big of a draw and sell as, as we like it, but I think we watch with or without it. So if they can somehow get the concussion thing under control, I think the league is healthy and is going to just grow 10x. The world, if the world gets smaller, it's going to get popular other places. Uh, if they can't get that under control, the game will die very, very, very slow death. 
but will at some point start to decline and go down just because the talent coming in has got to, it's got to be there. Your best athletes or really good athletes have to be choosing football. And right now the, the, the athleticism is off the charts. Even in the last decade, it just blows my mind what these guys do out there. Yeah, I wonder if it's like boxing. I mean, there was a time where boxing maybe second only to baseball was America's sport. It was a big thing. It was huge. People knew about it, but uh, I don't know the history of boxing and why it, it declined. Uh, maybe it was just the rise of basketball and football, but you know, nobody, very few young 16 year olds are going into boxing, you know, as a sport of choice. Um, so it, it's interesting, but similarly, a, a very violent um, game, a, a sport. Uh, I don't know. I, I might want to look into that. Cameron, what are your thoughts, your prognosis for uh, the outlook of the NFL? Maybe I just don't have enough imagination, but I can't see it not being the number one sport throughout my entire life. And I think one of the things that has going for it with player development is football is a sport. I don't think you necessarily have to play a lot growing up to, uh, to be. So I, I don't know, maybe something just like with boxing and, um, and what's popular now could happen. But as long as there's athletes, I think football is too entertaining to, to not be, not be the, the most popular sport out there. Yeah, my take is in five years, football will be bigger than ever. In 25 years, um, it will either be gone or be a completely different product than it is now. Uh, okay, lightning round, true lightning round. You guys ready to be quick? Here we go. Who's a quarterback that will surprise people this year? Cameron. Jameis Winston. Ian. Simeon from Denver. Levi. Matt Stafford. Detroit. I was going to go with Matt Stafford. I don't know who I'm left with then. I was hoping I could go with my boy, Kurt Cousins, but I saw him play uh, week one and he looked really, really bad. So um, wait, I need to clarify. Yeah. Jameis, not because he's going to do really well, but he might still crab legs again or something like that. <laughs> a little surprise with something off the field. Okay. Wow. Um, who is a team this year that's going to surprise people? Cameron. Mm. <laughs> um, that's tough. I'll, I'll go with the trend. Tampa Bay. I'll keep going. Ian. Detroit Lions. <laughs> Levi. Why do we do this to ourselves? You're just setting yourself up for pain. Levi. Um, New Orleans. They're going to have a great season. I'm going to go with one that's a little bit trendy, and I also feel like it's a little bit risky, but uh, I'll say the Oakland Raiders. Um, what is the most – with two more questions, real quick. What do you think will be the most interesting story in the NFL this year? Colin Kaepernick. That's going to continue, you think. Okay. Ian, what about you? Oh, man. Um, I, think, I think it's going to be the rise of uh, a quarterback or two that shocks all of us. The yeah. rise of Sam Bradford. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like it's going to have to be something off the field. I feel like it's going to involve Roger Goodell. Like he's going to, the level of his chicanery is going to escalate and there's going to be some sort of big uh, dramatic scandalous thing that takes place. Okay, final thing that we're going to end on. Predictions for week two. Uh, we're going to stick with your team. So, um, how about we all do both teams that are represented here, uh, Giants as well as the Lions? Um, 
what's going to go down? Who are these teams playing? Who's got a schedule in front of them? I can't even remember. Giants are at home against the Saints. Ooh. And Lions are at home against the Titans. Okay. All right. Predictions. Levi. Giants and Lions. What are the two games against? Giants are at? At home against the Saints. Lions are at home against the Titans. Lions by four. Um, Saints by two. Ian. Uh, Giants pull out a a victory, uh, maybe just a few points, um, but a very high-scoring game. Um, And the Lions win, I think, pretty easily. Cameron. I will go Saints by seven. Boy, you really don't believe in your team. No, they won last week, so they'll lose this week. <laughs> um, and uh, Lions are going to lose. Let's, let's not get ridiculous around here. All right. All right. I'm going to take my Lions by 12. I think they're going to play really well. Um, and I'm going to say this Saints-Giants game, you know how the Giants can be, especially with that receiving core where they just bomb it and they can put up points quick. The Saints are high. This is going to be a high-scoring game. This is going to be a barn burner. So I'm going to say this is an overtime game, and Drew Brees pulls out some magic, and uh, Saints take it by three. Gentlemen, this has been a blast. Uh, we'll uh, you know, maybe revisit later in the season, or uh, ne- you never know. We could do the NBA next. Thanks for coming on. You got it. Thanks for having me. Thanks. See you. Later. Hey, if you're a fan of the show, do me a huge favor. Go to iTunes, give it a rating or a review. A rating is only a simple click of a button, or if you're on your phone, a tap of a finger. And it will help people find the show a lot easier. And if you have a little extra time, write a review. What you think about the show? Honest opinion. That stuff goes a long way in giving more exposure to the podcast. What do you get out of all of it? You get the pleasure of knowing that as more people start listening, you get to say, I was there first.